Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are back at Life List. This is George Armistead. I am here with my co-host, Alvaro Jaramillo. Alvaro, how are you doing? Hello. Yeah, doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think is, is I'm still kind of getting over the COVID thing, so I might be sounding a little rough and gravelly this morning, but uh, hopefully that adds character, you know, nothing more. Well, yeah, one thing you need is more character, George. Oh, I'm saying, I'm saying that's, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I'm excited, Alvaro, because we got, we got a good guest today. This is, uh, right. we haven't done many interviews yet, um, but we have a guest uh, today who is well known uh, in uh, a variety of capacities. I think of him as sort of the big dog of Columbia birding. There's a lot of big <laughs> dogs down there, but uh, this guy is a stranger to none, I think at this point, a co-host on The Birders Show on YouTube. Uh, and appeared in the movie The Birders, was prominently featured in that, a beautiful documentary uh, showcasing the birds, culture, and music of Columbia. He appears in Nat Geo's Birdwatching with Fark, a documentary about how birds connect people. This is Diego Calderon, who is a biologist from the University of Antioquia in Medellin. And he's been burning for over 20 years all over Colombia, studying the courtship systems of mannequins, the natural history of migratory birds in the neotropics, as well as relationships between galliforms and anseriforms. Uh, today, he uh, does a lot of guiding of bird tours like you and me, Alvaro. And he founded Columbia Birding. And you can follow him at Diego C-O-L Birding on instagram right and uh diego's done a bunch of exploring we're going to talk about some of that and some other stuff today diego calderon how are you doing today man oh i'm very very good guys being in your company here on your nice podcast and you know it's always great <laughs> to be seeing you again mate and getting to know mr Alvaro here face to face for the first time is uno honor yeah. Alvaro, man. and see sí, un honor Poder eh, conversar contigo. Yeah, let's, let's do this in Spanish. So George is a little, you know, sí. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. We're going to get a new audience, you know, different. Indeed, audience. indeed. First, you know, first episode, half and half. Yeah, we've been talking about doing an episode in Spanish. I think I could hang. Like, like I said, I, I, I can do. I can usually, I can usually say what I want. It's the comprehension part where I struggle a little bit, but uh, I think I could probably keep up. You know, especially if I had like a cerveza beforehand. You know, then it's like <laughs> seems like the words really flow easily. Absolutely, you know, we, absolutely, we could do an online course. You know, Spanish for birders. So you I know, like that. That the yeah. little things that you know how to say. You know, where is it? You know, or mm -hmm. how to describe the a tree and where a bird is Names in Spanish. Of colors so, and parts of the color, bird. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some yeah. of my clients have done little online courses of Espanol para pajareros before coming. One was by University of Texas, I think. Wow. Someone sent me a link. I can send a link and post it here on your comments on social media. Or wow, something. that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. We we at the Birder Show also have got a lot of requests to you know to do an Espanol episodes, and and of course we are we are we are having that in mind, and we would like to have you know one of one of the birding chaps that do stuff in any of these Latin American countries, and of course subtitles in English, but you know pleasing our audience in in Espanol that is, is pretty pretty big here in Colombia, especially. Yeah, for sure. That's okay. cool. You guys have a big audience and uh, certainly a big presence in Colombia and beyond. So that would be way cool, I think. Yeah, I think it's very cool that you guys are getting each other as lifers right now. You guys are yeah. I feel like both beasts of birding and have never actually met until this until today. So that's that's cool. You know, it makes me realize that I I don't go to the to the kind of birding shows and and events anymore because i'm busy doing all this stuff you know um putting together tours but i i need to do that more i used to be at every single one of these events you know back in the day uh-huh, so, uh-huh. Yeah, to be yeah. honest like it's not my dynamics i've been doing it since 2019 kind of thing you know like going to to these events because of my presentation you know over watching mm-hmm. fark and it was a long time ago that I used to go to the birth fair in, in, in Rotland. But, you know, all these yeah. North American festivals, I've I, I just been hitting them. Uh, so so you have to come yeah. more birding to Colombia. I mean, have you come to Colombia, actually? Me? Yeah, Me? yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I was I was involved with the, the Audubon of um, course. project. So back, you know, with, with uh, the Northern Colombia birding trail. So I, I was actually in Colombia a lot for a while. And then again, course, you know, that, that dried up. Yeah. Uh, one of his backyard birds is one of my most wanted birds in the world. Red-bellied grackle. Mm-hmm. I've Not never seen that. It's a good one. I've never seen that, you know. No, I've never been to where it is. You know, it's, it's not, I haven't even looked for it yet. But uh, I'm, I'm just waiting one day to, I'll just roll up to your house with a case of beer. And that's uh, it. That's it. Just stop by, you know, in the road from the airport to Medellin, stop for coffee, leave the beer, and and grackles are around, man. They no noisy, 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 beautiful beasts. Uh, yeah, I mean, in big groups, you know, cooperative breeders. So they are they are pretty easy to spot if they are in the area. They are going to be shouting, you know. Alvaro, how many right. how many icterids have you not seen? Answers can't be too I many. I don't know. I mean, I don't keep track of things numerically like that, so. I just know yeah. there's some that are at, at the list of things I'd like to see, you know. Yeah, but, but I mean, um, as the guy who wrote the book on New World Blackbirds, uh-huh. there can't be uh, <laughs> can't be too many that you haven't seen at this point. I can figure. Well, you know, there's there's a bunch. I mean, there's there. there I mean, I've seen most of them, but I, there's yeah. still a good number. That, some, some of the some of the monotypic, monotypic rare ones, you know, macrohelides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Right and Jamaican blackbird and things like that. If you know, there's, there's a bunch of island, couple of island things. It's true. So. I forgot kind of about all the about yeah some of these. Cool. Well, yeah. I know uh, one festival, Diego. You just did was Indiana Dunes. You guys have a good time there. Oh, indeed, indeed. It was it was my second time. I went last year, and you know I'm I'm good friends with Juan Diego Vargas from Lifer Nature Tours in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And I was being, you know, on a close relationship with Indiana Audubon. So last year he he invited me. He said, let's go, man, and, you know, offer our tours to Colombia. I do his tours in Colombia. And, and you know, he offers his stuff in Ecuador and everywhere. But this this year was super cool because, you know, they invited me from the festival to be a, a, a headliner, you know, a speaker. And 
it's such a nice small festival, I would say. It's very intimate. Everyone knows each other. Last year was a little crazy because it was basically the very first festival to open after pandemic. So people was drooling and getting bananas to get, you know, out of their houses, to see some people, to see some birds. And, you know, I, I, I loved it. I loved it. it. It was a nice, nice place. All these chaps from, you know, the Indiana Outdoor Society and all the, all the friends from Chicago that attend here from Illinois are super cool people. So it was a lot of birds. It was a lot of good birding. It was a lot of good, you know, talks and speakers, some good barbecues, a couple of beers. It was, you know, it was a nice event and, and makes you realize how different the birding is in the States. Yeah. <laughs> guys are paying attention to times, seasons when the birds show up and tomorrow such and such a species are going to show up at my feeders. Something that doesn't happen here, you know. We are a little more random here than, you know, specifically dating, accounting, accounting for the birds like you are in the States, in the North. Yeah, I was wondering how much your hometown in Medellin there, how how obvious bird migration is. I'm sure you get some pretty dramatic uh, hawk flights at times. Um, actually, actually, not much the hawk flights because I am above Medellin, 2,500 meters in the mountains. So I see once in a while broad wings, but it's not... There's not many, as in the lowlands or in Central America, that the river of raptors is pretty crazy. But what I get is I'm, I'm almost at the end of the Central Andes, at the northernmost point, point of the Central Andes. So a lot of the Blackburnians, for example, they are, they are hitting their last days in South America just before leaving to the States in my, in my backyard. So I see tons, tons of beautiful, you know, orange Blackburnian warblers and mm-hmm. even singing that, you know, it's pretty rare. But a couple of years ago during pandemic, the Blackburnians were singing. I was like, what is that? No, wow. in the backyard? I've never heard that thing. And he was singing full, full thing, you know, very, very, like, totally ready to be at home and to be flirting and having babies. That's awesome. You know, um, way back when I was banding birds at Long Point, there was this guy, and I've forgotten his name, who was taking cloacal samples of, of migratory warblers, males, females, and the whole thing. And he was detecting that some of these warblers were mating during migration. No. And uh, one of the high, I remember the highest amount of mating that he detected was Tennessee warbler, which is one of the ones that sings a lot during migration. And you wonder if oh. that has any functional effect or if it's just, you know, hormones gone wild. But uh, I don't think it was ever published. I don't remember seeing. Maybe I'm wrong, but that is kind of an entire, like, wow, could that be happening? Groundbreaking, yeah. Yeah. You mean like... A lot of these baby warblers should be named with, you know, Hispanic names then, Latin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember, I have this talk I do called Pornithology, you know, the birds and the birds and the bees. And one of the the stats that I used to... uh, kind of try to wow people with was Smith's long spurs had been um, tallied copulating 629 times in a six day period, which as you can imagine is more than necessary to get the job done. Um, so they, uh, they were, they, they don't, they don't have pair bonds. So they, right. They're kind of, you know, certain like, males will be doing that, but certain males will be, Copulating almost nothing. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the sperm competition thing. Yeah. 
know, yeah. you don't have you don't have to ask you know the mannequin the alpha mannequin wingman like how many times he's been successful man you know a sad story yeah <laughs> yeah yeah very supportive though very supportive <laughs> Well, one of the things we wanted to talk about, Diego, is you have been involved in a couple of pretty amazing and cool discoveries and um, and also the process of describing a couple new species. And one is the Antiochia wren, and the other is this new ant pitta in the Kali area. Uh, maybe you can profile for folks the stories of those two birds a little bit. Well, doing, doing a little summary, Antioquia wren uh, is this, you know, big Phryoterus sensulato, you know, type bird that very similar to Rufus and White, to Ornithephorus, etc. And back around 2010, Carlos Esteban Lara, uh, a professor down here, a good birder friend, he came from the, from the Cauca Valley, that is a, you know, lowland elevation area just west of Medellin, with a couple of photos and totally, totally, you know, tangled thinking like, man, what is this? Is this, you know, probably a good range extension of, of uh, Nicephorus wren that is an endemic of the Eastern Andes, you know, probably 500, 600 kilometers away at least. Um, or is it just Rufus and White wren going lower on elevation? We look at the pictures and next day we are, you know, next weekend we are birding down there with a couple of friends and seeing that this thing singing different is behaving a little different the habitat is absolutely different it's totally dry thorny uh dry forest and you know uh it's a little bit crazy because this is this is as andres cuervo one of our friends and co-authors you know one of my birding mentors actually would say this is a piña colada bird you know they are, they are <laughs> in the most one of the most touristic near medellin lowland areas where medellinians will go to Runaway, you know, on weekends to go to lowlands, swimming pool, hiking. And, you know, uh, the bird is for sure, was for sure uh, over, overlooked by, by several birders and reported as Rufus and White Wren, most likely. So we eventually assembled a nice team and, and you know, described this thing back in 2012, 2013. And it's one of the few uh, Cauca River Valley dry forest endemics along uh, with gray spiculate, uh, with apical flycatcher that is always in, also in, in other areas of the country. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty, pretty sensible population, you know, almost, almost 30% of its habitat of the, of the full range was flooded for a hydroelectrical project uh, a few mm. years ago. So you can imagine, you know, the range of this thing is restricted to only Antioquia department and a little bit, a little bit of this, you know, a, a good chunk of its range is totally gone because of water. So it's a, it's fortunately a bird that likes to scrub open areas, semi, you know, hedges and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not probably not doing bad, but that's, that's the first, that's the first story. I um, like, the, I like the pina colada bird. And uh, Andres Cuervo is somebody I, I hear so much about from so many people. He's a good friend of several good friends of mine. So I'm, I'm hoping to get my life for uh, Andres some, sometime soon. But that's a that's a great concept. The you have to. You have to. He's a great chap and he's been very influential on, on the birding and ornithology careers of a lot of people down here. He's now at the Museo uh, de Ciencias Naturales from Universidad Nacional in, in Bogota. He's basically replacing Gary Styles. So he, he's still educating a lot of, you know, generations of, of birders and ornithologists down there. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, you know, just, just to 
give people an idea of anybody who hasn't been to Colombia. Colombia is really diverse for many reasons, but one of them is that it has a multiple chains of the Andes, sort of it breaks up into three. And then you have sort of the mountains, but in between the mountains, you have these valleys and the va- the two valleys are really different, not only in elevation, but how dry they are compared to adjacent habitats. So that's, you know, people focus on the Andes, but they often don't focus on the negative, which is the valleys that are also really, really important. Um, yeah, and- the, negative, the negative relief parts. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, so you've got all of this going on. Uh, that's why, you know, Colombia is so diverse, mega diverse, uh, apart from the latitude and the fact that it has two oceans. And, and, an, and a whole thing. other isolated mountain chain up there in the Santa Martas as well. Yeah. Periha, yeah. yeah. Macarena, Santa Martas. And people tend to think on the Andes as a singular chain with two slopes. And that's, that's right for most of it. It's length, but the, yeah, when, when you come here and it splits in three, you have six slopes. So that brings up the number of endemics, you know, pretty high. And then you throw in some Amazonia and some Llanos and you end up with Pacific Choco. Yeah, Pacific Choco. Yeah, a lot of bird species. Yeah, yeah and the Choco is really wet, wet habitat for, for people who haven't sort of thought, you know, that it kind of stretches down to northernmost Ecuador and into um, up into Panama. Panama. Yeah. Actually, actually, one of the wettest, you know, sites on the Chocó is called Joró, like it cried, like it cries <laughs> all the time, the sky cries all the time there, up to 15,000 millimeters of rain were recorded on a year in Joró, Chocó. Oh my so God. That makes, that makes it one of the, you know, wettest areas in the world, uh, no doubt. Can, can you imagine, so, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of Americans probably don't know the history, but Panama was part of Colombia at one time, right? Before the Panama Canal. <laughs> Can you imagine if Panama and Colombia were one nation, the, the mega I li- list? I like it. You know? I like it. <laughs> Huge. You know, Ch- Chavez, you know, ex-Venezuelan president, Hugo Chavez once said, we should reunite La Gran Colombia as a country, you know, getting Venezuela, Panama, Colombia, Ecuador, and a bit of Peru. And of course, you know, like on birding forums and stuff like that, people was like, yeah, we will be unbeatable. And we Colombians were a little like, we are already unbeatable. So why, you know, like <laughs> Panama would be cool, but like, getting to be, you know, like probably a country with what? Almost, you know, 20, 28, 3,000 species kind of thing. Like, it would be crazy. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you're busy stealing away all their endemics and adding them yeah. to the, the Columbia list yeah. as it is. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that more subreptitious going to the borders, you know, birding on the Darien, birding on Putumayo, and trying to sneak in one or two endemics every time. They yeah. also do it, you know, they also do it. The Ecuadorians go their Choco Virio and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This goes on all over. I mean, the Argentinians are stealing Chilean endemics, and Chileans are stealing Argentine endemics. And it is it's stealing. A, let's face it. You know, you know, one of the one of the yeah, it's stealing. One of the cool stories is that you were saying that you would like to to love to see this red-bellied raccoon, Hippopyrrhus. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most amazing, you know, totally velvety black and red endemics that we have. Is a is a blackbird, is a nycterid. And the thing is that this is one or 
only two monotypic genera that are endemic to Colombia. The other one being Antocephala, the blossom crown hummingbirds that they were split in two, but they are still endemics of the country. So Hippopyrrhus mm-hmm. is endemic to Colombia. And then the very first time, probably, you know, this, this is a little confidential story, and but it's funny. We were going to Putumayo several years ago to explore and we were going with a group of friends from Medellin that we always go together, Andres Cuervo, one of those, and some, you know, birding friends from, from the Sociedad Antioqueña de Ornitología here locally. And the, the head of the Universidad Javeriana, that is the author of the Red Book of the Birds of Colombia, The Threatened Birds, Luis Miguel Rengifo, couldn't go with us, but he was in the chat. So we were talking about the possibilities, you know, range extensions, new birds for the country. And one day he says, like, oh, man, and I was told, that hippopyrrhus, the red belly grackles, are, had been seen almost 20 kilometers away from the border with Ecuador. So we were all like, oh, man, we're going to lose <laughs> our endemic, beautiful genus. So, you know, Luis Miguel, the head of the Red Book of Colombia, says, you should bring a shotgun, man. Don't let that happen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of worth it. Very, very, <laughs> yeah. very protective. That's the level. That's yeah. the level we're talking pride, about. National yeah, pride, man. Next level. National yeah. pride. Man. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the bailador. Yeah, it's, it's funny because this bailador name is a little something that we don't use. It was like a, like a name that came out in the, in the public you know, knowledge. But this is a cool story, man. Like, you know, a few years ago, uh, Lina, one of the students from my good friend Gustavo, that is also an ornithologist, Gustavo Mondoño in Cali, uh, they were doing some monitoring of nest populations. They have an amazing project uh, evaluating altitudinal changes on, on nesting on neotropical birds. They've been working in, you know, Manu Road in Peru, Santa Marta here. And one of the places is in Chicaya. That is this beautiful gradient, like from the top of the Farajones, the Cali area above Cali City in the Western Andes towards the Pacific, towards the, the ocean in the Chocó. It covers a beautiful, you know, range of you know, Paramo, 3,500 meters above sea level, all the way to zero, you know, with tropical rainforest. And they were, you know, like doing a training session, you know, a few days on a, on a site very close to Cali. And Lina just goes, you know, coming one day and she sees this bird that comes into, you know, the, the, she was not on a trail, but on a creek. She was looking for nests going down to, to, the, to the lodge. And she, she gets this bird jumping in front of her. The bird dances a little bit, shakes, you know, Shakira motion, keeps on lie thing. She gets a little video, a couple of photos, and eventually she comes down and um, asks the, the mates there, like, hey, what's, what's this bird? She was a very young birder then. She, she wouldn't know even, you know, like a geno. She, she was guessing it was an ant bird. And eventually these guys couldn't find it in the book. And one of the guys had birds of Peru there, one of the guys from the States that was a volunteer. So they said, man, this looks like Peruvian and Peter. Ask Gustavo, our boss. They send a message to Gustavo, and Gustavo never sees this message. The message goes undetected on Gustavo's email or WhatsApp or whatever for months until this this guy, the, the North American guy, asked me, like, hey, man, do you know what happened with that bird that we detected? Like, have you heard from Gustavo? Do, do you know if it, what, what type of anpita was? So I eventually can watch these photos, and I said, holy shit, man, this is, this is Peruvian anpita for Colombia. Next weekend, wow. we are, you know, exploring the area, uh, playing a cocktail of, of Gralaricula and Pitas with Gustavo, my friend. 
And we got this bird responding, and indeed, we, we saw it and thought, man, this Peruvian and Pita, no, no doubt, new for the country. Very interesting because it's also in the opposite slope of the Andes. You know, Peruvian and Pita shows up in Peru and Ecuador in the Amazonian, eastern side of the Andes. And then we start actually to write the range extension note in the field in the afternoons there in the little cabin. You know, it was raining all afternoon, so we were writing our paper. But we eventually, two, three days later, come down to civilization and to network, to connection, and we start to check more properly, and this bird has some differences on plumage and the voice. We recorded the voice. The voice was a little different too. And eventually we got Andres Cuervo in the team. We got some other guys, did some more exploring, look for it. This is only one hour from Cali. This is very, very close, actually. That is pretty remarkable. And, you know, the, the, the thing indeed is is different. So we are, we are you know, almost finishing our description. It's taken more time than, than we wanted. Uh, seems like these, be, things, uh, these things always do, these new uh, species, it seems yeah, like they... Uh, you, you can go and listen to your, your episode with Dan Lane, you know, talking about... <laughs> Sometimes they take 20 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> there you are, there you are. So one of, the, one of the cool things is that, I mean, we're describing a charismatic brand new species of Gralaricula and Pita. That's pretty remarkable. The last one was ocre-fronted probably 15-ish years ago, 20 years ago, I don't remember, from Peru. But... Uh, we, we, we also realize that this bird is only available in a, I mean, the, the habitat is very, the accessible ha- habitat is very vertical walls of rocky faces, you know, in, in the Farajones. Farajones is this word for these vertical, very cracky rocky faces. And we, we started a project to feed this Pita at least a couple, so birders could see it not going bushwhacking and trashing habitat and playing back like crazy. So it's been it's been a little slow get all this into into a rolling ball of snow that, that will work because it's in it's in public land it's public land from the municipality that was not designed for tourism there's been a, a, a lot of backs backs and forths but eventually we have the bird already eating you know a few few months ago actually we hired I hired a, a good chap one of those Anpita whisperers. And the bird nice. is available. We're just waiting for some improvements on the trails and the dynamics of this Cali administration office to get everything rolling. But hopefully it's going to happen soon. It's not in our hands. It's it's in the hands of the administration. So, you know, that's a little bureaucratic there. It's a little public. Yeah. Uh, but eventually it will happen. And, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful bird. One of the, wow, that's so cool. It's like an it's- yeah, I was going to say that genus is like all ant pittas are great, right? Like all there's not a bad ant pitta out yeah. there, but Gralauricula ant pittas are a different level. Like they are ridiculously cute, tiny, like, you know, it's actually for I, I haven't seen that many. And actually, the, the first one I ever saw was scallop breasted ant pitta, which oh. at the time, yeah, which is a good one, you know, and at the time. They had only just recorded its voice for the first time. And it, I think when we saw it, it was me, John Coons, doing a, a tour of field guides uh, with an, uh, another guy, uh, Venezuelan named Pepe Clavijo. And we went and they had just recorded it. And I think only like maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 people had seen it at that point. But I, and I remember the thing landed like six feet away from me and I managed to actually get a photo of it. And I was I, I was like, you know, terrified and it was awesome. But I was like shocked at how cute it was they're so cute you know and i saw the photos of this thing and i was like wow i gotta see that thing someday i really uh i, I haven't seen hooded yet either but as a genus Gralauricula is pretty tough to beat yeah and they um so 
Yeah, you've the regular antipitas that people sort of tend to think of when they're saying and antipitas are bigger, right? And uh, these this genus are much smaller. They often will perch on branches rather than always be on the ground, and they do these funny movements too. Like they will have not all of them, but some of them have kind of a funky little dance that they do while they sing or they sit there, and you wonder why are they doing this? You know, like yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting because you know even I think even before we found the the new species I, I was talking with Jonathan Miranda uh, a researcher and good friend from Venezuela and Jonathan was you know preparing a like a short note on the species of Granulicula that do the dance you know they leave their head totally stationary like you know most of the birds would do and they shake the body you know uh, bow it to the sides and. I've been, you know, I've spent hours and hours chasing these new species, you know, these new species we, by, by how do you call it, like the nickname we have for the ones with either Salsita. Salsa is the, the music from Cali and they dance. So we you know, nickname her Salsita. Nice. And I've spent hours following Salsita and seen them, you know, and several other species doing this shake. And I've never, I'm able to relate the motion to any specific behavior, any specific situation. Jonathan is, is not found like any reason. It's, it's, you know, it's commented in a few papers like, oh yeah, and such and such bird, rusty-breasted or some of the other liquids do it, but no one has, has realized. And one of the cool things is if you look from behind, all the shaking is made by strokes, short strokes of the wings. So hmm. it's like, you know, trying to scratch your back you know, with the right wing and then your your full body shakes and then using the, the, the right wing and the left wing and, and the body goes, you know, sideways, but, shaking all the time. But they can't, they have not correlated it with the behavior as not of yet. Wow. Not at all. Not at all. There's, there's going to be a time when someone is going to watch a little more careful or, you know, listen to something special while that's happening and... Yeah, or are they going to see it under, you know, UV light and they're going to realize that they have headlights in the back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Wow. So, well, so that, that, that tells you a little bit about how, as I said, in the Victorian times of exploration that we are still living yeah. in Colombia, you know, like you just right look outside. at the mountain range, isolated, and, and you're going to explore it if no one has been there. Boom. Something, something interesting. Right so, outside of Cali, one of the oldest cities in South America, right? It's like you are, you are yeah. amazing. I got a question that is totally different. What is a paisa? <laughs> a paisa or a bandeja paisa? Actually, <laughs> well, we're going to get to a bandeja paisa. That's actually, you know, the, the, the but, nicknames, uh, the, the casual nicknames for the people in Colombia, like anyone from the coast would be a costeño, of course, you know. Anyone from Bogota area would be a rollo. And actually, I don't know where the word rollo comes. And anyone from this coffee region comprehended in between like Medellin, Manizales, and Pereira, like the central Western Andes core coffee area, we are all paisas. And it comes from the word paisano, you know, like, you know, brother or someone from the same town. Um, there is always this little bit of discussion and and a little of hard feelings in in a, in a nice manner in between rollos and paisas. A little so, bit of rivalry, a little rivalry. A, li- but, a little bit. A little yeah. Bit. And how come Cali, that's Cali is not in a, in, they're not paisas, they're but not they're pa- not rollos. 
they are no, they are Calenios, and they are more lowlanders than the Paisas, and and of course than the Rolos, that are you know from high elevation. But if you have all the department of Valle del Cauca, which Cal is the capital from, the north of Valle del Cauca is coffee area, and you will be in yeah. places like El Cairo, you know, Berlin, and it's like if you were in the middle of coffee area, beautiful. Uh, you know, picturesque towns with Republican architecture, and they consider themselves Paisas, even they're from Valle del Cauca. Who is this, yeah. I would say, more related to the coffee-growing culture uh, area that comprehends all these all these departments and, and cities? And, I mean, it, somebody who hasn't, um, if, you know, a listener hasn't been to Colombia, it's good to get the map out and, re- and kind of look and see Bogota is sort of, I wouldn't say in the center, it's a little west of center, um, but it's in the, the Andes. The east of center, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Medellin um, is to the northwest, and then Cali is to, I mean, to the southwest, right? So you mm-hmm. have the three kind of creating a triangle. And then there's the the Caribbean, you know, Cartagena, Barranquilla. But those, that sort of triangle of, when you look at the big cities, important cities, they're, they're distant enough from each other that they've they pro- they have different culture, different histories, but they're close enough to each other that I can see sort of like realize. rivalries, you know, or or historical kind of situations happening. Like, for example, what rum you drink depends on where you're from. Sometimes, absolutely, right? I mean, absolutely, and we are pretty regionalists here on on this country, you know, in Colombia, and of course, when when you have Bogotá's. 2,500 meters above sea level, huge city. People is a little bit more more shy or recluded or more, you know, in the big city dynamics. And you come to Cali or Medellin, there are smaller cities, a little lower elevation. People is a little more festive, saying hello in the streets to everyone. I mean, the, the differences probably get a little more marked on the... Mm-hmm. On the you know, rivalry there a little a little too funny sometimes. I mean, in some yeah. cases, of course, it could be unbearable for some people, I guess, like anywhere in the world, you know, countries that make fun of other countries and stuff like that. Yeah. But in general, Colombia is a, is a country of countries. All these regions are so different, you know, like Nariñenses, Pastusos in, in the south, in the border with Colombia, yeah. completely different, you know, planet than, than the coast, that the Guajiros in the north, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. And... Yeah, this bandeja paisa is uh, quite the uh, quite the thing. Like, you know, bandeja <laughs> means platter. You know, so it's the platter of the paisa people, right? And it's essentially anything you can fit in this. You, thing. Yeah, they, it's throw, chicharrones, you know, fried pork rinds, and you know, plantain, and avocado, and plantains, avocado, and ground rice. Beef. And you I, know, uh, it's, it's basically it's, putting everything that makes it more colorful, and supposedly that gives you energy to be on the on the field all day long. A little too big. Yeah. A little too big for for the taste of most of our visitors actually. <laughs> from some of yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, I've certainly had, had yeah, I've certainly had some meals down there where like, you know, you're with the group and the and the plate of food arrives and people are just like, oh my God. How are we supposed to do anything else after this? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like what we want yeah. to share actually on the Abaisa. Yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful uh, place to eat, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I, one of the things I I wanted to ask you about a little bit more was your is your hometown there, Medellin, and and what a great place. I had occasion to just I did a birding trip there a couple of years ago, and at the end I was like, you know what, I'm just going to tack on like 
three nights in Medellin and just hang out. And I just went around by myself uh, and ate at like nice restaurants and hung out with a couple friends and uh, took the street art tour, which was amazing. Just walking the streets of Medellin there and the views uh, and the murals, many of which feature birds. Birds are so prominent in all the street art. You so many murals of birds, vermilion flycatchers and toucans and hummingbirds. And uh, I was really struck by that. And I thought, this is something I feel like birders should know about, actually. Like, if you're going to come to if like you know a lot of people fly in and out of Medellin for birding trips um and uh tacking on a day or two to check out town there you know what would be your recommendations Diego for folks that wanted to see a little bit of the city oh absolutely Medellin Medellin is you know has this this very interesting history one of the most violent you know area cities of the world back you know for 20 15 years ago with all the narco story and, and all other, you know, traditional issues that we've been, we've been, you know, passing by and, 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 you know, having a good change. And Medellin offers basically a view of that. You can go and glimpse all these, for example, murals. You, you, you go and see the, the Comuna 13, one of the favelas, let's say, here in the city. And you can, you can actually witness how these areas have migrated from being, you know, one of the, one of the, mafia and drug trafficking centrals uh, to be like a social and, and, you know, educational hub for, for a lot of guys, a lot of people without many possibilities, many options, many chooses in life. And now there are, you know, like social groups, NGOs, locals offering, you know, dancing classes and uh, painting classes and a lot of, a lot of art is probably saving a lot of these kids. So going to see these parts of the, of the city is a must, of course, we have like Botero Museum, one of the famous artists, you know, painters and sculpture uh, guys from the world that it, it was from Medellin. And, and a lot of his art is, is here in the city on a, on a special museum downtown. But one of the cool things is also that Medellin is being gaining probably a little bit more attention because now we have, I mean, around the city, you could, you could go to a lot of places birding, you know, one hour, two hours from the city. But inside the city, people only would do like a quick visit to see red belly grackle and yellow-headed manakin at La Romera Reserve and keep going, either north, south, to the Magdalena, Cauca Valleys. But now we have the Antioquia Brosfinch, only one hour from the city. Oh, wow. Lost bird, you know, was, was supposedly extinct and it was rediscovered uh, three, four years ago. So now there is a, one more, you know, specific thing to... Be one night here to, to, to go and see this bird. It's relatively a piece of cake here, you know, northwest of the city. And that has made that a lot of people uh, takes time to do a little bit of, you know, sightseeing or, or a little graffiti tour or the, or the new, you know, Pablo Who. That is a, is a new tour about Escobar, Pablo Escobar's story and, you know, redefining and, and showing a more decent story about what happened in the narco days in the city, you know. So Medellin is gaining more attention also in, in between the history and the birds. And I, I find that pretty neat that people interests more on the real story of this, of this area. Yeah, I, I, I loved Comuna Trece and the graffiti tour and, and, uh, and the food and like going around and you just see people, there's music everywhere and there's yeah, like, you know, there's like break dancing and like, it's just, it's such a vibrant, rich city. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I envy you for living right, right uh, in that area. It's such, such a cool spot. 
Yeah, you know, what one of the things that really I always think about is especially with in in terms of the ornithology, the birding and so forth and lots of other things that happen in Colombia is that for a while you were isolated from the the rest of the world. I mean the 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 other than the flow of money and drugs, you know, for a long time, the people didn't, not that many tourists would go to Colombia. Um, you know, collaborations were less than they are now. How is it that Colombia is kind of, um, was able to, you know, produce not only mm-hmm. so much great ornithological work during a time when it was, um, it was, you know, sort of, Isolated and even music, you know, like just crazy, you know, everything. It's it's almost, I wonder if it was like a reaction to the fact that, you know, you were isolated from the rest, but it's kind of a, there's a lot of ornithological work, ornithologists, birders in Colombia. Like the whole scene is huge compared to a lot of Latin American countries. It's pretty, it's pretty unique. It's pretty endemic, actually. We, we, as you said, we, we were totally isolated from the research, from the birding world, from the natural history world. You would check any paper on systematics of any group of neotropical birds produced, you know, anywhere from the 80s to almost 2005, 2010, even sometimes. And you would find on the, on the sampling dots, on the localities, a big gap. And that was Colombia. And, mm-hmm. and that was also pretty interesting because in Colombia, if you were sampling Rufus and Pitas all over the Andes, uh, you get, you know, a few species here and there, but, but the subspecies in Colombia were a ton. So this is where the things were interesting. And that's, that's probably one of the causes that the Colombian ornithology has grew up a little isolated, but also very strong. We got, you know, we started with the Lasalle brothers back, you know, in, in, in uh, almost a hundred years ago, being all over Colombia, they, they funded some of the, you know, like local society, Sociedad Ornitologica, uh, the Antioquia de Ornitología here in Antioquia was founded by Mar- Marco Antonio Serna, one of the Lasalle brothers. And we actually, when we described Antioquia Wren, we named it in honor to Marco Antonio Serna. We, we call it Triophilus Cernai. And a lot of these guys created an atmosphere of academy that was also infiltrated a little bit by the early explorers from the Natural History Natural, uh, Museum of Natural History from New York and the Academy of Sciences and, you know, a lot of the specimens that were taken in Colombia uh, went all the way to, to collections in Europe and the States. So a lot of information was there, but the country was very, basically unreachable for, for scientists, you know, with our, you know, um, very, very uh, sor- sorrowful and, and, and shameful war on drugs in the, in the last years, you know, 60 years of conflict. And then I think that, that the neotropical ornithologists here just, just proved that we were good enough without the influence of North American European universities and, and researchers coming that we could produce a lot of good work. So we got the influence of a lot of private and public university guys uh, just just living the dream and making up their labs and getting students and getting people to do research. And it was a nightmare to send samples of DNA or, or to get loans from samples of museums because, you know, we were very isolated to the world, but eventually this, this made a very strong community. And, and even in ecology nowadays is happening. And you see that the ornithological community, the local community is big enough to, to, 
to be compared to the Argentinian and to the Brazilian one. Even Brazil being a huge country with a lot more researchers. Uh, but a lot of high quality people has emerged from here. And nowadays that, that the things are more open, more accessible, you know, with the cease of the conflict, uh, we are we are getting a lot of attention, not only in birding, you know. I, of course, you as birders and people listening to us would acknowledge that Colombia has been that gap. You know, I've got guys coming birding with me on tours with the Birds of Colombia, Hilti book from 1986, totally worn and totally wet and totally used in the field. And they said, man, I went birding to Ecuador with this copy. I went birding to Venezuela. I went birding anywhere. Now is the time to use it in Colombia, even if it's a very old, not updated book, you know, the, the first version. And for the research, the same. For the research, the same. A lot of people coming to do their undergrad, their postgrad projects here. So that's it's been making it even more strength, strong. Um, but it's, it's been pretty unique. We've been evolving as, as our own unique society here of researchers and, and birders. And, and that's, that's, I would say, pretty unique for the yeah. Americas. Yeah, maybe maybe it was uh, weirdly enough a benefit to be isolated for a while um, and not have to rely or 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 feel like things had to be led from the outside. I mean, you, you start thinking of other countries in Latin America where it's Absolutely. been led from the outside, from North American or or uh, Absolutely. European. You, you, you mentioned museum. it, I think, on on Dan Lane's episode. Like, you know, it's not only like one Bolivian or Peruvian in the description of the Heliotropis, I think. And mm-hmm. in Colombia, it's probably the opposite. A lot of these guys, like Andres Cuervo, Daniel Cadena, Gustavo Londoño, they were very eager, very precocial. So they were like boom, 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 producing and, and really looking for the rare things along with some of the visitors, of course, from Europe and the States. But uh, a pre-owned and unique, you know, very, very Colombian uh, energetical community has been behind all this, all this research, and you know that's that's one of the strengths for sure. Mm-hmm. I do yeah. feel having you know only visited in the last ten years or so. I do I find that Colombians are super welcoming, super socials, um, and I I often wonder if part of that is that there was such isolation for so long that people do value the time now. People value the opportunity to, uh, to 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 inter, you know to uh, interface with a whole bunch of different folks, uh, and and I and I sus- I imagine you're right, Al, that the 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 evolving um, ornithology there would have had to have had you know this core strength because it evolved kind of more organically in a way there. Um, um, so mm-hmm. that is, that's an interesting aspect. Uh, and also, also the fact to realize that you have a very unique, complicated country, you know, biogeographically and, and nature wise, and that no one is studying it. No one is coming. It's like, okay, man, we, we got to do the work. If no one is coming to sample here and to understand what's happening with all these variation, uh, we have to do it ourselves. So all, you know, all this uniqueness. Yeah. Schools here. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, George. We, you know, we usually start out with with sort of what's been going on, what we've been seeing, and uh, we we dove right in because we were really excited about uh, Diego. Um, and uh, you know what I, I've been seeing recently is I always forget that you know the hummingbirds 
um, nest. They arrive early, but they start nesting kind of late. At least the uh, Allens. This, this is at least in my yard. Mm-hmm. But oh, is this why you were looking? I saw your. I saw you. you yeah, were, yeah. You were fixated not on the screen there for a while. I was wondering. Yeah, what yeah. Was going on. Exactly. What? So I have this big, you know, window, and it gets a little um, spider webs all around it, and I, I don't clean it because I know that this time of year, the Allens hummingbirds come and pick out spider webs to to make their nest and it's been kind of constant uh, and it could be a second brood for all that because you know they've been around for a while um or or uh but i haven't seen it until this week that they've been like uh making a nest you know i don't know if people know that a lot of hummingbirds use expansive materials like spiders webs that are that are flexible yet have strength so that when the um the little eggs are in there. It's a small cup, but when the the babies start growing, they actually in, increase the size of the cup, um, and uh, it's a, it's a perfect kind of like solution to their situation. It's like you know they're getting bigger and bigger, and uh, you don't want to have a huge nest to start out with. You know, the little female hummingbird would be sitting there not <laughs> not knowing what to do with herself, so it, it expands, and they uh yeah, the spiders webs are key. So I've been watching that for the last while. I was wondering so, what no you were rare, looking at. No rare birds, you know. Yeah, I thought maybe and, and, another prairie falcon or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know, like that time. And then I've also been kind of marveling at the the spring rarities in in Ontario. Uh, you know, the, they had a marsh sandpiper. Oh, um, yeah. First for Canada. And then just a few days ago, hepatic tanager. Yeah, that one knocked First, me socks off. I didn't, and there's there's previous records for the province as well, which shocked me. Like that wasn't even the first one for Ontario. Was it? I thought it was yeah. the first for Canada. Maybe I'm totally wrong. I, I thought they yeah, said it was I mean, like the I'm second. So or the, I think they said it was like the second or third. Maybe maybe it was the second or third for that Canada. But I, but I was like shocked that there were any previous records there at all. I mean, there are some really weird things, you know, like Scots Orioles and you know, um, yeah, Phytopeplas that have sh- that have shown up in 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 Ontario from that region, but it's still, it was shocking. Um, yeah. That, that the, is actually cool. the sandpiper was less shocking to me, even though it caused more waves. Um, the marsh sandpiper is just a real vagrant that it's found all over the place. Um, yeah. Those trinkets seem like they could turn up just yeah. about anywhere in, uh, but yeah, the hepatic was more shocking to me as well, actually. Yeah. Even though it came yeah. from less, less distance. That's funny part of, of the burden out there that is so different to here, man. But, you know, we get, we get rarities and vagrants, but, you know, like you find, we found buff-throated toy tyrant near for the country, down south in Putumaji a long time ago exploring, and there's no twitching, you know, like the bird is going to be there. The bird has been there forever. It's just lack of sampling. It's not <laughs> like a rare vagrant crossing the border. It's totally different energy and behavior no. from birders. No, it's, it is different when you get to Chile. Vagrants are huge. Like the, there are lots of things that show up that are lost, and mm-hmm. um, these and temperate migrants, temperate migrants, yeah. yeah. And and because you have situations like the the desert, or the highlands in the desert, or these random little pockets, you you could in fact go and have a trip at the right time of of the year and almost expect you're going to see a vagrant or at least look for them. Um, but the number of vagrants since people have really started 
since birding's become a more common thing in the last 15 years, has been astounding, the things that people are finding. Um, in, in, you know, even like oil, oil birds, you know, multiple. <sighs> wow. In, in random places, you know, like roosting in the in garages in the desert, you know, you know wow. some mechanic has, finds his bird in there. Or That's crazy. Things like that. Warblers um, and, and things that are just totally, totally unexpected. Um, full, you know, northern Fulmar or uh, European red start out in the islands. Uh, just, just crazy. Um, I think the only thing comparable is Brazil, the islands... Um, some you know the islands off north uh, east brazil that have some real vagrant wacky stuff from europe that show up but uh, um it, it's interesting that i'm sure vagrants occur in colombia but you're looking at several thousand other species and yeah, you might not even yeah. <laughs> register it's not so easy to find yeah it's a lot it's a lot and you could see that the the all these new birders, you know, a lot of people actually, even without binoculars, just a camera, you know, like photography has been very important on the growing of the local, you know, birding community. And a lot of these people were reporting a lot of, you know, novel information on ranges of, of our birds, like a lot of range extensions, some, you know, a few, a few vagrants, a few warblers and stuff. But it was it was this the power of, of the participative social you know science you know e birding a lot of these people uh, and then a lot of the filters you know we reviewers were like what what and it was that a lot of people just going like oh yeah I took this photo of you know this yellow headed brushfinch new for Antioquia a hundred kilometers north in the Central Andes then a hundred kilometers west of the Western Andes and it's been it's been so important you know the growing of the local ornithological yeah. and birding community. Just, just you know, adding up all this information on on yeah. novel information. Yeah, it's amazing. Al Al was talking about how how much it's grown in Chile, and it's grown. You know, birding has grown so much here in the states as well. But I wonder what it's like for you, who's been you know in Colombia. You've been you've seen this thing really evolve uh, over time, um, and. I like, I guess my first trip there, I was amazed. I went to the Kali Bird Fair and we're, we're talking about uh, going back next year. In fact, I'm talking later today with uh, your co-host, Chris Bell, about, uh, uh, about uh, you know, maybe doing something for the Bird Fair next year. So we'll, I hope mm-hmm. folks will stay tuned for that. But um, yeah, like the first time I went there, I was shocked at just, you know, compared to so many countries I've been to in uh, Central and South America at what a big birding community there is. And, um, and I gather that's a fairly, fairly recent thing, right? It's, and, and so many were so young. Uh, I mean, there was hundreds of people at that Kali bird fair. Uh, and I, I know there's a whole bunch of other bird fairs. Like when you started out birding, um, what, like how many people did you know that were doing it? And, you know how how has that changed to to the present time? It was it was not small, but it was all related, mostly related to academia. It was all the ornithological societies, all the you know biology and ornithology schools, and and the events were only the the national birders meeting. Uh, it was the Encuentro Nacional de Ornitología, 
But then it started to grow so much, I would say, in the last years with, with you know, security, people being able to move around and to travel more. And also the fact that, you know, uh, ProColombia started to do a good business, a, a good job on advertising the country outside. And that also resounded inside. So for a lot of people, we suddenly were the country of birds. A lot of people didn't know that we were the, you know, top country with a bird list in the world with almost 2,000 species. And that also created this, this internal proud thing. So people were exploring more the birds while they were traveling and just taking photos and not even being per se birders having lists. But then you would say that it comes, you know, in the last years, the, the participative science with the global big day made a big, big, big impact because a lot of people wanted to participate on this race people saw it as a race to see more birds the highest number of birds in a, in a single day and we discovered man that we had birders on every corner of the world on every single little town there was a professor with a school teacher with their kids going birding for the weekend and and you know producing data and and getting it reported into eber for that global big day so it's changed dramatically it's changed dramatically with the with the amount of regular people, non non PhD students, non professors, just you know lawyers and doctors and and just people you know as mundane people as we would call it Christians you know like just going birding, and it's yeah. it's pretty interesting and fun. It's pretty interesting and fun. I think it showed us how powerful the the amount of work in this case watching birds from regular people, non trained people is. And the community is growing exponentially. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool. Like I, I, uh, I mean, it's not at all the same thing. But here in Philadelphia, even I remember, like I went, you know, ten years ago, if if there was a good bird in Philadelphia, it was because like one of the three of us that went birding in Philadelphia found it. You know, and now there's so many, so much good stuff being found all the time. You can't even keep up with it. You know, it's, it's like, in a way you get, you get kind of frustrated because there's so much more to look for and see, and you feel like you're missing out a little bit actually. Um, but in another way, it's just brilliant because there's, there's so many more people involved. And I do think digital photography is just like blew the doors open. I think that was just a massive, massive factor. I I think the, uh, the fact that, um, eBird and sort of these participatory, you know, citizen science uh, projects will have in North America specifically, we can sort of see it already in, in Latin America is the age, the average age of birders is going to go down. We're, yeah. we're going to birders have always been in North America, you know, 60 and up uh, have, has been the, the, the common, you know, in terms of age and it's going to drop down Latin American birders uh, usually are in you know I would say students to about forty five you yeah. know that's the main group you know in yeah. fact by the time you get to sixty that's usually the sort of university professors that have been around for a while and and I'm not I'm just you know looking at patterns here but um, very interesting that it's uh, it's a more young crowd all over uh, Latin America and it will be here too. A couple of things help there, Albert. Like, it, if you think that tourism is is one of the main important, you know, economy uh, sectors in the country, and that we are the country of birds, and that a lot of young guys know their areas, know their birds, 
they, they are looking forward to a job in, in tourism, you know, being a local guide or being a local operator, being the local family that feeds an ant pit or feeds the birds and people come here and they sleep at your place and, and you gain, uh, uh, you know, good income from birds. That is mm-hmm. that is made a lot more young people going into birding, of course. And also, one of the cool things that I grasp from our, you know, more academical background as an, you know, ornithological and birding society is is totally seen while Global Big Day. We not only see the highest number of birds that is almost expected because, you know, we, we have almost 2,000 species to go and look, but we are like the second or third or fourth country that submits the highest number of checklists. That means we are doing the job on a more specific, more fine detailed tune way and not just sending like full huge, you know, lists for 12 hours and, you know, 120 species, but doing it on different habitats, on different locations. So I think the the homework of, of understanding that not only the amount of data, the amount of birds, but the quality of the data is useful. It also is very Colombian. And you go and check the, the results of Global Big Day. I haven't done it on the last three years. I haven't been actually playing Global Big Day in the last three years after done it like super crazy from 2016 to 17 to 2020 is that we are like submitting huge amount of lists just below the States and Canada and probably Australia. So that also tells you a bit about, you know, a lot of people interested, but a lot of people interested in good quality that, you know, it's pretty meaningful, actually. Yeah, tremendous amount of effort and strategy goes into it, I know, in Colombia. And I remember back when, like, Peru used to kind of be the the titan in terms of the species for a few years there. And they got they got knocked off their perch by, uh, by Colombia. And you guys basically haven't looked back since then in terms of the species. I mean, if you, if you have the people aligned, going to specific places, getting the specific birds, all the rest is, is just having fun and seeing the normal stuff for the day, you know? Mm-hmm. We need, you know, we need to start making uh, more categories, kind of like almost like the Olympics, you know, uh, you know, just more, add more sports to the Olympics. So we need to have <laughs> exactly. biggest uh, list for a landlocked country. We need to have biggest, uh, maybe list for a small Temperate country, we yeah. need percentage you know, um, of total species seen, not only totals. yeah percentage of total sp- species or you know number of species per uh, per hour unit area of the country. You per, know, like I so think per hour you know, would that, you know per single hour. hour would be is a is a fun one. Like I used to do that as a kid. Me and me and my buddy Chris Witt, we would like go out and try to be like, all right, you go out for an hour, I'll go out for an hour. Let's see who comes back with more species. I think that could be oh, the know, big hour. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> the yeah. hour of power. Exactly, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for 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 the busy, you know, for the busy person who's a birder, you know, it's just like n- none of this big year stuff, big hour, maybe a big five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It does. It does involve some strategy. You got to pick where, you know, you got to pick your spot wisely. And uh, it's, it is kind of a fun. Maybe big seat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Big hour on a bicycle, that, that's probably the way to do it. Cover a lot of ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just listen. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, actually, that, actually, that actually relates, uh, and I love it, to the fact that birds will please us all, no matter how we approach them and how we see them and how we enjoy them, you know? Listing, not listing, photographing, not photographing, seeing details, seeing quick, understanding 
you know, natural history and biogeography from them, or just for the simple aesthetics. That, that's the charm of birds. You know, they, they will please you anyhow you, you want to enjoy them. That's- they, they give us an awful lot. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. It's really the most um, versatile pastime that you can have, I think. It, it, there's, there's something for everybody in, in terms of birding, you know. And uh, I think one of the key things for people who've been doing this for a long time is to actually expand your mind as to how birding can happen so we can bring in more people to this joy exactly. of watching birds, you know. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Being a little bit of a pimp, you know, getting people into <laughs> birding pimp. Push, pushing birds, yeah. A bird pusher. You're one of those bird pushers, aren't you? <laughs> it's a good it's a good job. It's a good job, you know, yeah. getting people into it. It's I, true. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we go right. You're you're the uh <laughs> let's get started. Drive yeah. safely. Oh, oh, oh. oh. oh I was I was Look taking it. some times here. Uh, right. Sorry, and then this thing was t- talking to us. <laughs> I was like, yeah. "Wow, you don't look like you're driving." <laughs> no, 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 no. It's no, funny no. that you know. It's funny that Diego gets his directions in English. I, I mean, <laughs> why, why doesn't he get directions? Yeah, phone, in Spanish? Phone, he doesn't, he doesn't trust phone. it in Spanish. You know, it's like, oh no, is, they're going to take me somewhere else. <laughs> some of these, some of these funny automatic voices in Spanish are from Spain, so that sounds a little weird oh, yeah. for us. So I just, you know, That's keep weird. the ones in English. Castellano. <laughs> I've, I have yeah. long said I would love to have Sofia Vergara giving me directions on my phone. I keep hoping that they'll they'll have her voice. <laughs> That's not going to happen, man. That's not going to happen. Seems unlikely. It does seem unlikely. <laughs> yeah. So yes, yesterday I started watching this TV. Sh- we were watching these TV shows, like a, a murder mystery thing, and it's in Spanish or it's from Spain or whatever. And I'm like, what? This accent is so weird, you know. And I realized eventually it wasn't actually properly Spanish. I could understand it, but it, it was Galician, you know. Uh, and, 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 and I'm thinking like, oh, gee, no wonder. I, I thought as, you know, my hearing aid thing was going off, you know, why can't I don't? What's going on? It's like they're kind of half Portuguese. But anyway, it's a, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of variation within Spanish itself and accents and, and let alone languages related to Spanish. It's uh, no, no, it's not all one no. thing. Don't get a Rolo from Bogota and a Paisa from Medellin to, you know, talk. There are going to be different worlds. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or a Chileno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would encourage folks um, to check out um, Diego's Your your Nat Geo um, talk, The Bird Watching with Fark. And that's a talk you've given at, um, you maybe have coming up elsewhere. Um, uh, I don't know if you've got, like, I think you did, was that the talk you gave at Indiana Dunes Festival? That was the one, that's the one. And it's, it's, it's nowadays, uh, named how birds connect people, bird mm-hmm. and fark. Um, on average, I don't know exactly. I haven't done numbers in a while, but like 4,000 people around. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a presentation about, getting ourselves out of our bubbles, out of our comfort zones and thinking on the Colombian conflict and how that touched all of us here, no doubt, and how we can, I don't know, face it and, and embrace it on, a, on different ways. And, you know, we've been a very polarized country like everywhere else in the world. We've been you know, voting 50-50% for everything. And it was no difference here when we voted about the peace deal back in 2000. 
uh, 16, we actually voted no by like 0.001%, you know, the, the no to the peace deal won. We as a country said no. So we basically eventually got the peace deal passed by Congress with, with you know, this is the big agreement, the peace deal with FARC, the oldest guerrilla group in the world. And, you know, I had a little bit of, of curiosity how a normal, you know, citizen like me uh, would 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 be able to offer something, and you know, I had I had my superpower. I had the tools. My superpower is that I was kidnapped by FARC in 2004 while trying to do a bird expedition in the Perihama Mountains in between Colombia and Venezuela. And nowadays, after the peace deal, I've had the privilege to go birding again with FARC ex-combatants, with the guys that signed the peace deal. And they are now looking for opportunities and looking for jobs. And they do know about nature and birds and medicinal plants. So having, you know, that, that circuit, that circle kind of closed and having those tools in my hands, I, I designed this talk, this presentation, Birding with FARC, that I've been sharing, you know, with, with Colombians especially and a little bit around the world, Spain and Uganda, the States now. Pandemic came, so actually... I, I, I missed a few opportunities there, but the next one is going to be July, end of July, beginning of August, I don't remember exactly, on Ecuador, in the Reunión Ornitológica, the uh, Ecuatoriana de Ornitología. Um, and that's, that's the idea, getting people a little uncomfortable mm -hmm. with love, thinking out of their bubbles and seeing the Colombian conflict from a different perspective that, you know, being lightweight of emotional baggage is much better. Yeah. No doubt, that's that's we're watching with Farc, and as you said, you can watch a short National Geographic documentary that is called Bird Watching with Farc. It's open there on YouTube for for everyone to know. Yeah, I've watched it a couple of times. It's really it's it's pretty powerful, man. And I got to see you give this talk as well when we uh, had the ABA uh, event in uh, mm -hmm. in Bogota. And uh, uh, it's a great story. It's a great message. Definitely encourage people to check that out on YouTube. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, hope, uh, hope we'll get you up in this region at some point soon, uh, to give that talk as well. I'd love to get you into the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, 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 you know, I'm scheduled for some other festivals there, like Morro Bay in California. Oh, that's a great one. I got to speak. Yeah. With Cornell, with Chris, we, we need to, you know, set it up again. We, I was traveling there in April pandemic year, so we had to postpone the thing, but yeah, uh, the idea is sharing the, the, the talk with a lot of people, changing the perspective that they have in Colombia also, you know, like stereotypes rule and and the talk is, is useful for that. Really. Yeah. Moro Bay will be a lot of fun. Alvaro and I have both been to that one and it's a great group of folks and a great festival. People should definitely consider yeah. uh, going to see you there at, at Moro Bay Birding Festival. Definitely recommend that one. Um, yeah, and go cool. go out on the, cool. the boat trip. So Yeah, are you are you are you managing the boat trip, Alvaro? Um, uh, n well, I might be there, but I don't, yeah, I haven't, uh, we haven't thought that far ahead. I think. Gotcha. Okay. Maybe. I thought maybe you had plans. At least I haven't. Know. They probably have. <laughs> yeah. One thing, uh, I was hoping to discuss before we let you go here, Diego, is neomorphous ground cuckoos. Mm -hmm. the, I had the pleasure of being on with on the Birder Show with you and Chris a while back. Amazing show. You got yeah. folks need to check it out if they haven't already. But my bad luck with Neomorphous ground cuckoos was on 
full display there. And I've taken a bit of a beating since then from folks because um, these things have popped up in Costa Rica superbly for people to see. And I wasn't able to get down and see those. I know you were able to go. Uh, and um, and yeah, like now it seems like almost every time one pops up, people are like, check it out, George. There's You got to go see it. There's one there. You're missing it again. And it's like, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I got to figure out a way to get away. But I know you went to see the one in Costa Rica. Have you had the uh, have you had any recent success? Uh, I know there's been some more ground cuckoos documented uh, fairly recently. Yeah, this 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 is a nice topic. You know, these are the ghosts of the rainforest. You think on, on cuckoos being relatively showy and noisy. The ground cuckoos, you know, like roadrunners, they, they are in the ground all the time running. They love to follow army ants. The ants are, you know, praying for everything in the forest and anything that flushes. Snakes, scorpions, spiders, the, the birds are behind, ant birds and, and ground cuckoos, etc. So the thing is that seeing a ground cuckoo is, is, a, is a lifetime event, you know. You can be burdened forever in the, in the neotropics and not connecting with with one and that's that's been the case for a lot of people so mm-hmm. it's been fun because i even started a little post on facebook where we tag a lot of people and we have a lot of people commenting actually i i, I just check it like a second ago and this this post has you know like uh, 347 comments from a lot of people reporting their grand cuckoo sightings and there are basically five species of ground cuckoos, like recognized, because there are splits, you know, going to happen. And there are there, there's one species, as you mentioned, that is the easy one, the rufous vented, that I actually Relative, flew. relatively easy. I mean, the easier of, of them all. Actually, if you check <laughs> if you check rufous vented ground cuckoo in that post, it's been seen by 34 of the people commenting there. While the rare species, you know, like scaled and, and red bill, they're only being seen by five people. So that, that tells you, you know, the amount of, of time in the field that you have to spend and the amount of luck to get to connect with one of these species. So there has been one rel- relatively recent uh, happening and is banded in Ecuador. Banded, we share it with Ecuador. It's only the Chocó, the, the humid area of Colombia and Ecuador in the Pacific, towards the Pacific in the West. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough beast to find, to connect with. There are some sightings in Colombia, in the south, in Pangan, where you probably have to go and spend like two weeks there to have a, you know, a little shot of it. But in Ecuador, in the Mindo area, there has been one of these neomorphous banded ground cuckoos coming to moths in the morning. There is like lights and a moth trap where, you know, some birds come early morning. And two months ago, it was happening almost every day for a couple of weeks. There was some twitching going on, some people flying from the States and detouring in their, in their, you know, Ecuadorian itineraries, trying to get some extra time to go and see him. Uh, I didn't go to that one a few years ago, like three, four years ago, when the first time it showed and it was being fed by some guys in a reserve there. I, I thought myself like, yeah, I live in Colombia. I will eventually should see Neomorphus radiolosus, the band of the ground cuckoo in Colombia. Man, I was, I was probably, you know, trusting my, my luck and it's not been the case yet. So I actually, I actually might detour a little bit in, in July to, to go and see it. And it's, you know, neomorphous are, are these birds that really awake the, the, that neotropical curiosity of birders probably at its maximum is 
it's like seeing a ghost is is like receiving a gift from nature is like like a friend says you know he, he also says this about the spiny rats in the andes you don't go and see them you don't go and chase them they decide when to be seen and they come and offer themselves to you as a gift so that's that's what happens with neomorphous uh, they they drive the curiosity and the romantic curiosity of a lot of neotropical birders and, and and not many people have seen them all so i mean no one has seen them all so that's that's they, i i can't say i've had bad luck with them because i've never actually looked for one <laughs> There you are. <laughs> so, so I've never seen one, but I've never, you know, I, so I just figure one day something will happen somewhere. But I, I, to me, these birds are a little like the African Picathardes, like, mm. although harder. Uh, in fact, Picathardes are mythical, but they nest in very specific situations. So you can actually go and see them reliably if you put in the right time. Um, the rock fowl. I have yeah. seen, yeah, rock fowl. Um, and I have seen uh, Picathardes. That's a story, actually. It should that because that was not, you know, it was kind of one of those like gifts from the birding gods. It wasn't like it was even in the cards. <laughs> That's for another episode. And there's something very similar, like really low density, really low density, big showy bird, ground dwelling. You would think, you see it in the book, you would think, oh, well, that's going to be easy to find, big, huge thing like a chicken, you know, uh, but it's not easy to find at all, you know, these these uh, ground cuckoos. And I, I used to remember seeing them in, in the birds of Venezuela originally and thinking, well, I guess I'll see one of those one day and never happened so far. <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing, and, and it makes them more drooling for birders, is that when they happen to be following army ants, they're totally easy and they're not shy. They will walk in between the people, look at the people. They just befa- behave like little puppies. And, and that's, that's the total contrasting thing, like one of the toughest neotropical birds to find, to connect with. But if you are at the right spot with the right army and swarm, there will be two hours with you just, you know, happily praying there and giving you a show. So it's either everything or nothing with them. And that, I think that's, one of the things that drives birders a little crazy about them. Like the day I find my, you know, neomorphous ground cuckoo is going to be cool. It's going to be, you know, a good observation, but you have to suffer for it. Yeah, it is. It's, it does. It seems like they're nowhere or they're at your feet. It's like, and, and mostly they're nowhere. It's like, you know, yeah, it is. Exactly. And I think you're right now. Pick authorities, the rock fowl, they very much occupy kind of the same niche mentally, I think, as well for among birders that that go for these kinds of things. Like the mm-hmm. they 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 kind of are in the same brain space. Um, and I I have not uh, been to the right areas to collect connect with those pick authorities, but someday I hope. Yeah, Amazing, someday. they they look unreal. Those yeah, crazy, crazy. Well. Um, Guys, Diego, thank you so much, man. Before we sign off here, is there anything you want uh, to let folks know about that you have coming up or where they can connect with you? Well, I mean, uh, everyone is is welcome to check my social media, as you recommended at the beginning, is Diego C-O-L Birding, C-O-L from Colombia, and The Birder Show. We are on any of the social media channels on YouTube. 
And, you know, like trips happening, some, some clients coming back to Colombia. I have a trip to Bolivia, you know, with Gina Nichols and Steve Bird from Sunrise. And it seems that it's becoming, again, a little more normal. We are not, you know, pre-pandemic levels of tourism, but it's becoming, again, you know, a little busy for everyone here. So more than more than cool, man, because a lot of people, you know, locals here were, were in need of the tourism happening and going on. And it's, it's great to see the birders returning back. So that's it. That's, that's my next few days with some tours and a trip to Cuba going with my girlfriend on a camper van. I've never been to Cuba, so I hope to see some of the endemics there and get to see some some natural places. Uh, and that's it. And that's it. Any recommendations for Cuba? Alvaro can uh, give you some pointers there. He knows yeah. it as well as anybody. Offline, I can give you some thoughts. I'll bother you then. I'll bother you then, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks so much, Diego. Really appreciate the time today. And um, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we'll look forward to being back with another episode soon. Cheers, everybody. Cool. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Ciao.